This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, welcome back to Gen Z Money. Today we are finishing our investment series. Um, I've got Nick on the show today and we're going to be talking about investment mistakes to avoid when building your portfolio. So let's get right into it. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Gen Z Money, which also happens to be our last episode of the investing mini series. Oh, well, no, it's been a it's been a great journey. And I know that we've covered a lot through the investing investing series. And it's been great being a part of the journey. Thanks, Nick. Well, I thought today we could maybe end the series by talking about some investing mistakes to avoid when building a portfolio. We've talked about the different types of investments out there, uh, uncovered all those basics, but what do you actually have a think about before you jump into it? So let's just get right into the um, to the points we've got written down here. First thing we've um, listed as a mistake is not considering your goals. How could that affect your investment decisions? If you look at it from anyone's perspective, you know, you might have friends or, or family, they all have different different goals and objectives that they want to achieve with their finances, whether that be saving up a bit of money for a home, um, investing a lot in the stock market and trying to, you know, make a bit of money, a bit of a side side hustle or a bit of an income from, you know, the, the, the shares and the, and the sort of investments that you have. So I think it's really important to determine what you're actually looking for in relation to investing, whether you're looking to generate some income, whether you're looking to mm-hmm. um, growth. So you're looking for growth-based investments to grow that money over an extended period of time. So I think taking those sorts of um, considerations when c- constructing a portfolio is, is really important before you actually put your first dollar to work. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's going to have a lot of influence over the type of investments that you do ultimately choose. So that's a really good point. And you did also mention timeframes there as well. One of the things I see a lot of people uh, do, which I believe to be uh, quite a critical mistake in some cases, is that they'll invest their money and then they'll have a plan to withdraw that money in one or two years and use that um, for a house deposit. What are some of the risks associated with doing something like that? By investing in something like a growth stock, something that requires a bit of an extended sort of time frame to be able to actually realize that sort of value is something to consider because at the end of the day, if you're looking to take some money out in the next 12 months, the type of investment that you'd be looking at would be very different to something else that you're looking to um, take out that sort of money in about five years, just as an example. Mm. So the types of investments we would consider in both of those circumstances would be vastly different. So I think understanding what you're looking for before you actually put that first dollar to work is is something that can save you a lot of money and also save you um, the sort of changes that you would need to make in the long term if if the goal wasn't what you originally thought it was at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Because the last thing you want to do is uh, you have a $50,000 house deposit. You're not buying for another couple of years, but you feel like you're wasting money by leaving it sitting in the bank. Oftentimes that's not the case because if you were to invest that and the share market were to go down by the time you're ready to buy, you're going to have a much smaller deposit to work with. So absolutely investing is a long-term time frame. And when you shorten that time frame, it becomes a bit like gambling, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's important to note in, in the investing world, 12 months is considered quite short. 
So I, I, I think when you put it relative into those sorts of numbers, so five, five years is probably a good investment amount of time to be able to realize some value from some growth assets and a growth asset, just looking back at our previous episodes, is something like shares um, in investing mm-hmm. in the stock market predominantly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing also, similar to what I've just said there, is um, not investing everything. I think we've spoken before on this podcast about the importance of having an emergency fund and having cash available if you need it. Um, just similar to what we were saying just then, you'd hate to have an emergency and need to pull out your money from the share market um, at a inopportune time. So always just making sure you've got cash on hand that's not invested in the share market as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's important that sort of sleep at night factor is what I've spoken about in, in previous episodes. And and that still is very relevant. You don't want to invest all your money because, you know, you, you've got to be able to live and, and sort of survive outside of the stock market. So I think definitely being quite smart in the amount of money that you're looking to invest. Typically, it's um, used from surplus money that you wouldn't be spending typically um, on your yeah. weekly budget. So anything surplus, you can account for in a budgeting perspective of $100 per week or something like that, that is a sleep at night factor that if you did lose that money and you'd be investing it very smartly, so that wouldn't happen, but <laughs> you, you, you would be having a, a sort of stringent budgeting criteria that would allow you to, to make those sorts of decisions and, and not really be too detrimented if the markets were to fall. Yeah, exactly. And you talked just then about the sleep at night factor. I think that's something that everyone needs to consider when they're investing. Um, and it kind of, kind of ties into the idea of taking on too much risk. Um, now, there's plenty of very, very popular risky investments out there at the moment. Everyone's talking about crypto and Dogecoin and Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff, or even just speculative investments um, in the share market. That obviously plays into your level of comfort when it comes to investing. So how do you approach understanding how much risk you're willing to take on with investing? I guess if we're speaking about the speculative side of things, I'd probably say you know ten, nothing more than 10% of the overall portfolio should be invested in speculative stocks. Um, speculative mm-hmm. stocks are things like Bitcoin and, and other sorts of things that have a lot more volatility. So that's that you know constant movement, you know up and down. Um, sort of volatility associated with those sorts of speculative assets. So I think definitely looking at it yeah. from that perspective, but also making sure that you have you know growth assets of you know re- relatively solid companies as well to kind of have that sort of foundation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Let's say for example, I had two hundred dollars in cryptocurrency and that fell down overnight. I'm not going to wake up the next morning and throw up in the bathroom because I'm terrified. Whereas if, you know, 70% of my portfolio was in that, then maybe I would start to get a bit, uh, a bit shaky. So that's definitely a really good point about how much money are you willing to put into speculative investments. And I think that also ties into actually understanding what it is you're investing in as well. Obviously, if, if you're not doing enough research and you don't really understand why the investments that you have are fluctuating, that's going to cause a lot of anxiety as well there. So what can people do to reduce that potential anxiety around investing? I think a lot of it's around about knowledge. So I, I guess prior to making that investment is probably where that sort of stress and anxiety would come from because most of the time you wouldn't really understand that sort of investment that you're investing in and making sure that you do diversify is something that would make the portfolio less volatile or, or moving a lot less over time, r- relative obviously. But I guess looking at the sort of investments 
um, from a holistic and long-term perspective as well is something to consider because at the end of the day, you're not going to be selling every single day and the markets are going to go up and down. I think it's just an understanding of markets do move and some investments do go down and some investments do go up. I just think it's about staying true. And I know it's very difficult at times when you see, mm-hmm. you know, numbers that you don't like, but staying <laughs> true to the goal and the sort of objective that you are doing with the money that's invested is very important. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. I've been there before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think there's a lot of pressure as well to um, invest quickly. We've, we all talk about that, you know, the benefits of compound interest and getting your money invested as soon as you can. But you can also, I feel, invest too soon. If you're jumping into investing without really understanding what it is you're doing, um, you're going to be much more likely to make rash decisions like buying uh, when the market's high and selling when the market's low. So if you if that's you, if you're not 100% yet, just keep doing your research, keep learning at your own pace and, and don't get started until you are comfortable um, with the risks that you're taking on with investing. So I thought I'd just Exactly. And then there. also the, all the people that are listening here, they're making a great first step to be able to get that sort of education to understand, you know, how to invest in, in, in knowing the sorts of tips and traps um, of investing in the markets and creating a portfolio. So you're on the right exactly. path, all, all the listeners here today. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, and we talked just before as well about seeing numbers and maybe seeing colours in your stock portfolio that you don't like. No one likes seeing um, their investments in the red. But I think personally, one of uh, the best ways to reduce that is to probably just stop checking. Um, I'm not sure how often you check your investment performance, Nick, but I know for myself, um, I check it monthly only because I track my net worth. So each month I'll write down what my investments are worth in my net worth tracker. Um, but if it weren't for that, I'd honestly probably just check them once a year. Um, annually I have ShareSite, but it's a website that kind of looks underlying at your portfolio and the performance of each asset. Um, so no more than once a year or maybe once a quarter or half a year for me is how often I'd be checking my portfolio. What about yourself? Uh, look, I probably wouldn't say I have a very strict, you know, I need to check it on a monthly basis. I would probably say I just naturally would either see it, no, no, maybe once a fortnight, if not once a month, if not once every, mm-hmm. um, you know, six weeks or something like that. Honestly, it's something if I if, if I think about it in my head, oh, I should probably check my portfolio, then I would probably look mm-hmm. at it. So I don't necessarily have a, a, um, a very strict criteria, but I can tell you what I don't do. I don't check it daily. I don't check it weekly. I do, I'm... I, I'm that would just, you know, make me very nervous and worried. And you kind of start looking at those granular numbers that in the big scheme of things don't really make much of a difference. That's right. Yeah, your your portfolio being down 4% today uh, will barely even show up on a chart over 30 years. So um, that's a very, very good point. And I thought we'd also just touch a little bit on asset allocation as well. What are some of the things that you consider when building a portfolio in terms of asset allocation to make sure that you are comfortable with what you're investing in? Well, it kind of depends a lot on sort of your range of what you're willing to look to invest in. That could mean I want to invest in globally, global sort of stocks. I want to invest in, you know, Asian markets, for example. But I guess just in this case, might be good to just talk about the Australian market. I think from an asset allocation perspective, 
it kind of works a bit hand in hand with diversification uh, because they, they, they pretty much work off each other. So asset allocation could be, you know, having sort of exposure in one particular sector over another particular sector that kind of creates that sort of asset allocation. So you don't want all your money in, in a, in one particular asset allocation, such as like healthcare, for example, um, mm-hmm. compared to something else like aviation. So those sorts of, if you're invested over those two sorts of assets, not saying that they're the best ones to invest in, but, having that sort of exposure to, the, to different sort of asset classes allows you to um, reduce volatility and enhance the diversification, which kind of creates that s- stability for the portfolio moving forward. So that's something to yeah. consider as well, because I guess it makes those sorts of numbers, those red numbers or those green numbers, or the more the red numbers, um, less red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we want. That's what we want. <laughs> Um, and okay, so we talked about asset allocation. So that's basically allocating maybe X percent of your portfolio to this and allocating X percent of your portfolio to this. Let's say, for example, I've got a portfolio that's 30% healthcare, 30% banks and 30% mining. That is obviously not my portfolio, but that's just what came to my head. Maybe in a year's time, I check my portfolio and all of those numbers are out of whack. It's now 45% mining and, you know, 30% this, and it just doesn't make sense anymore. What does it mean when that happens? And what do you do to kind of uh, keep that asset allocation in place as you intended? I think a lot of that comes into account because it, so let's just use that your analogy as an example. So let's just say I start off with 30% in mining stocks and it goes up to 45%. Let's have a look at your overall asset allocation. You could argue that you're overweight mining assets. Mm-hmm. So that naturally, and that might have just come from, you know, dividends or kind of just the the growth of that particular sector in that year. I think it's really important to review the portfolio um, annually, at least to kind of not, not at least, I guess, annually to, you know, look at that asset allocation to kind of look to, you know, trim down the sort of mining allocation that you currently have from 45% back down to 30%, but maybe look at a another sort of exposure, whether that be aviation, for example, that that you haven't traditionally been exposed to before. So I think that Mm -hmm. creates that extra layer of diversification and it doesn't really have too much added risk because it's not new money. It's kind of money that's been generated from existing investments, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I think- Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of called rebalancing. So asset allocation, looking at the sort of overall- um, asset allocation in those particular sectors and then rebalancing it in weights, weightings that you're comfortable with, let's just say 30% mm-hmm. in different sectors, you can bring it down to that sort of um, manageable level where you can still be diversified but still have a, a reasonably substantial asset allocation in those particular sectors. Yeah, absolutely. That's good Good tips there. Um, another thing, we've talked about this heaps throughout this series, so we won't get too much into it, but I think another risk as well is um, not understanding the fees that you'll be paying with whatever investment strategy and product that you take. So what can people do? What's probably the best way to get an understanding of what the fees are and the things that you're investing in? Well, you could do the very boring way, which would be look at a PDS, which is a product <laughs> disclosure statement if you really want to be granular with the amount of fees. But I just think yep. you know, having a look online at the, at the sort of platform that you're looking to be invested in, because typically you'd need to um, invest via a platform to be able to kind of have access to creating a substantial portfolio or a well-diversified portfolio. So I think definitely just checking those sorts of fees, they're, they're, they're pretty transparent to a degree, I find. Um, but 
definitely there's some hidden fees in there that you need to be looking at. So I just think it's just about doing your sort of due diligence in the platform that you're looking to invest in before actually going ahead with, you know, adopting that sort of platform and investing through there. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing um, I'm sure everyone's encountered at some point is unsolicited advice about your money and your investments. Um, So I think there's a huge risk in taking advice from the wrong people. Uh, Nick, in your experience, have you ever had anyone give you a bad piece of financial advice that you can remember? Oh well, look, I can uh, I can probably talk to every person on this uh, on this podcast that everyone has had a friend that has given them a bad stock tip. <laughs> so I think everyone's got an idea about something. So I definitely think it's worth doing research before actually putting the, your money in something that your friend might have vouched for. But I guess definitely considering advice and looking at sorts of what, the way other people are investing. I found books um, and kind of creating that foundation and that. Investing philosophy is something that takes a little bit of time at the beginning, but once you get that pretty down pat and, you know, confident in yourself about what you're willing to invest in and your sort of process to investing, I think that that definitely would screen a lot of those poor investment decisions that people may say to you moving forward. But there's definitely a lot of groundwork to get that investing philosophy to understand what you're looking for and the type of investments that you want to make and the sort of goals that you want. But definitely in the long run, it's something worth worth chasing, worth worth doing the initial groundwork for. Yeah, absolutely. And I, we haven't written this down, but thinking about it now, probably one of the biggest investment risks is FOMO, fear of missing out. It can be so hard to see people um, experiencing these great returns on these speculative investments and thinking, oh, you know, if I'd only invested um, when, you know, at that time, I could have been a millionaire by now and um, avoiding that temptation just to jump on the on the train with everyone else without doing research first. Super, super dangerous. A lot of people get burned that way. Um, so if you are looking for advice on what to invest in, who better to see than a financial advisor and talking of professionals that you can talk to about investing, there's also a huge component of investing, which is the tax, um, the tax implications of purchasing and selling investments. Obviously with that, always talk to an accountant. We're going to have an accountant on the show probably next week to talk about um, how to consider your investments when it comes to tax returns. So without going into too much detail, Nick, what are a couple tax considerations um, that people should consider when they're investing? Um, the num- Probably the main thing I would say would be capital gains tax. So typically on a very high level, what that means is if your stock went up in value um, and you decide to sell it, you'll be paying capital gains tax on the difference from the purchase value to the current sale value that you sold it at. Mm-hmm. I would probably say, and an accountant would attest to this as well, if you hold it for over a year, it's probably in your best interest because the capital gains is halved. So for example, you would be paying 50% discount on the original capital gain value of that. But mm-hmm. I don't want to get into too much detail because there's probably a much better um, tax person than me talking next week. But I think another... Finally, just another quick one on that is income tax is when you take dividends from a company. So a lot of companies, in, especially in the Australian markets, issue something called a dividend. Um, and that's a bit of income that you can take and put it in your pocket to go spend on anything you like. But you just need to be aware that that, does, um, that income from that dividend does count towards your income tax. So your marginal tax rate would be associated with that um, dividend. So if you earned $18,000, for example, then you'd earn 
an extra $75 in dividends, then it, you, you would that would be added to your um, income or your salary that you currently earn outside of the sort of investing world. Yeah, that's a really good point. Most people think of uh, their income as the income that they make at work, but investment income is also taxable income. So very much worth considering. And again, if you're ever unsure, chat to an accountant. It's 30 June coming up. Great time to chat to an accountant about um, how your investment portfolio might need to be considered when you're lodging your tax return this year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us again this week and for um, being such an awesome person to chat to for this whole series. I think it's been really valuable um, and hopefully this can give people the uh, encouragement to go out and further educate themselves on investing and perhaps start their investment journey down the track. So thank you. No, thank you. And I think it's really important that, you know, to start the investing journey earlier, look, it's it's one of those lifelong sorts of endeavors that you take, you know, throughout your life as as things happen. So, and it, you know, it's it's never really a bad thing to understand investing a little bit more. So any little bit that, that any of the listeners can do to be able to get a bit more knowledgeable in the sort of investing world, then then I'm then I've done my job here. So um, thanks a lot, Azaria, for inviting me to talk Love for it. these series. And I've had a, a great experience um, talking to you and, and going through these important discussion pieces about investing. Oh, I really appreciate it, Nick. And if anyone is heading to the Melbourne My Millennial Money event, uh, Nick may very well be there. So make sure you go and say hello to Nick if, if you are there for sure. Yes, I'll be there for sure. In the Melbourne one. <laughs> the Melbourne. <laughs> if it doesn't get cancelled again, if you guys can keep coronavirus out of your state for a little bit longer, uh, then that should definitely be going ahead. That'll be great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much guys for joining us and we'll see you next week. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.